What's going on, everyone? This is Mitch from RespectMyReason.com, back with another episode of the RMR Podcast. Today, I have special guest Corey Azzolino, CEO or COO of Ease. How are you doing today, Corey? I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to chat with you today about delivery at scale, something I think you guys know at least a little bit about. Um, yeah, quite quite a bit. But, you know, every guest I always kick off with kind of their origin story around cannabis, whether that's personal, professional, both or whatever you feel vulnerable sharing. You know, there's there's no holding anyone to the stigma here and there's there's acceptance for anyone. So I'm just kind of curious your journey uh, with the plant. Sure. So I'm uh, I come from a pretty big family. Uh, I'm number four of five kids. Uh, my older brother and sister are about 13 and 11 years older than me, respectively. Um, and so I was first introduced just from, uh, my family my family's, uh, always consumed. Um, we definitely have parents of the sixties. Uh, we were the type of family who would, and still do smoke a joint before Thanksgiving. Um, you know, we, um, have always kind of openly shared. So that was really the first way that I was introduced to it, um, back, you know, way back when, um, and then, you know, probably stopped consuming through kind of college and. Uh, kind of my early professional career but um you know back in 2017 as california was uh opening up for um recreational adult use um hopped in back into the business side of it um and um, about that time also um just in my uh, personal life uh, also um started having kids and things like that and started needing uh cannabis for sleep and recovery i'm also a big kind of fitness buff so um, have kind of gotten back, you know, full steam ahead, um, and, and basically consume on a on a daily basis at this point um, for the kind of wellness and recovery property. So, um, definitely a huge fan of um, of it from from that side of uh, my life at this point in time. Um, and you know, back in 2017, I, I, that's when I did get started in the business side. Um, uh, started uh, with a company um, called uh, Dime. Uh, was part of the founding team there. Um, we ended up um, scaling it up to about 450 people um, and ultimately Ease uh, acquired uh, that business. Um, and the, the uh, business was very similar to Ease in that we were always focused on delivery um, and direct to consumer and e-commerce. Um, and that is really um, what Ease is all about and what makes Ease different and unique. Um, so I've been in the business now for about four and a half years um, since kind of the inception of uh, cannabis legalization. Uh, but I'm certainly not the founder of Ease, um, but really have been part of the journey as as Ease has become a plant touching business. Yeah, and I, I know, you know, just looking at your LinkedIn and kind of your bio and your previous experience, you've had some some experience in like the investment realm, which obviously has quite a bit of uh, relevance to cannabis, because that's obviously what's starting and, and, and funding and kind of the backbone of a lot of these these businesses. Um, but you also had some experience being a founder of another company, and it seemed to be working in like if I if I understood it correctly, I did a brief glance over of rally charges like, you know, like look like kind of customer lead acquisition and retention. So via some some digital and automated, which obviously looking at uh, a delivery business or being a marketing myself is, is a big part of, you know, how you grow and scale a business from from customer wise. So I'm kind of curious a, a little bit of the brief backstory of that company as well. Yeah. Um, so, yes, you're, you're right. I did kind of start my. Uh, my career in very like a buttoned up suit and tie world of uh, kind of accounting and finance. And then, um, you know, threw on the, the, the pseudo uh, tech hoodie 
um, and started a tech business. Um, and yeah, that was all about customer acquisition and, and lead gen. Um, and actually, at, we had exited that business right around um, the beginning of 2017. And so um, as I was looking for the next opportunity, that was really what uh, kind of brought me to cannabis. And um, because California had these unique rules of you know actually allowing delivery, um, I really felt like that kind of married the experience really, really well, because ultimately with e-commerce, of cannabis e-commerce specifically, um, you know, really the name of the game is, yeah, can you get customers? Can you, can you reach customers? Can you uh, speak to them and, and deliver them a, you know, a good value proposition? Um, and can you figure out ways to, you know, reach them at scale? Um, and that's what Ease had done from its inception. Um, and when we were at Dime, we were always playing catch up, right? Ease was always kind of the, the 800 pound gorilla in the California market. Um, Ease was founded back in 2014. It was very, very early. Um, to the medical uh, cannabis delivery game. Um, and, you know, they really had the brand that was synonymous with delivery. Um, but at the time, they they kind of, you know, as businesses develop, there's, you know, uh, what you think is going to happen and what actually happens. Um, and prior to the actual adult use recreational um, uh, regulations being rolled out, the business model worked really, really well for ease. It was a really traditional marketplace. Um, so they did not touch the plant. Um, they were much, much more like a DoorDash or an Uber Eats, where they had um, third-party partners who actually had delivery drugs, um, and they were just kind of routing orders, right? They would market out to uh, consumers, and consumers would find, uh, you know, Ease.com, uh, the mobile app, the mobile website. Uh, they would place an order, but they wouldn't really know what was happening behind the scenes. And behind the scenes, at the time, it was getting routed to, uh, you know, licensed retailers. Um, but Ease had no kind of control over that process. We were just a website. Um, and starting back in 2020, we actually uh, decided to move to be fully plant touching, much more vertical. Um, and the reason we did that is that um, when the rules were written in 2018, so Ease had already been around for you know four plus years, um, the big change that happened was when they wrote the regulations, they said the only people who can take payment from a customer um, is a licensed retailer. Mm -hmm. Um, versus before we were still allowed to facilitate the transactions as a non-licensed just technology company. Um, and that really kind of broke the model because ultimately all the businesses went, all the money went directly to our third party partners and we had to rely on them to pay us and to pay the brands. Um, and back in 2018 and 2019, um, you know, especially in a, a business that's very, very cash intensive, um, payments didn't really flow to the brand. So oftentimes people you know, on the platform or brands on the platform would sell products and they had a real difficulty collecting from the retailers and we had no way to enforce the retailer to pay them or to pay ease. Um, and so in early 2020, we, had, we recognized, okay, we really got to change this. We have to be the license holder because we have to make sure that we're doing right by the people selling on the, on the platform and on ease.com, making sure that payments actually flow back to them. Um, and so we made a really, really big pivot in early 2020 where we started buying licenses and we started to actually be the one who employed the drivers um, and you know, curated the menu uh, and ultimately actually produced products. And so um, over the last um, two and a half years, we've made a very, very big transition to being uh, far more vertical um, and also getting out of just California. Um, Ease was just a California company. Um, we Earlier this year, we completed a, a merger with a company called Green Dragon. Um, which was the number three retailer in Colorado. Um, and they had 16 retail stores in Colorado. 
um, really, really great, fully vertical. Um, they, they do everything from cultivation to, to manufacturing. Um, and they had also uh, acquired a license in Florida. Um, and so we figured that because they were excellent at retail, uh, manufacturing and cultivation, and Ease was just really good at delivery and the software, we felt like the two businesses combined um, really could create something unique, um, but also complement each other because um, it's really hard if you're good at delivery and technology to also be really good at agriculture and, and production. Um, and we felt like there's no chance we're going to get up to speed on, um, you know, on cultivation and, and kind of best in class techniques. And so let's stick to what we know. Let's find a partner who's good at um, the things we don't know. Uh, and then let's you know kind of marry the two together. Yeah, I, I, t I actually spoke to Alex Levin of, of Green Dragon at MJ BizCon last year. I think while this was somewhere in the middle of that or, or coming to the end of that, and that was primarily what he said was like, yeah, we wanted to get in delivery, but, you know, we were smart enough to realize that we didn't know what we didn't know and uh, wanted to partner with someone and, and align strengths. And I, I think that's how great partnerships start. Um, you know, some of the things you touched on there, obviously, like regulations in this industry are you know changing day by day they change county by county city by city it's fragmented within a state but then when you look in like what you guys are doing moving into multiple markets you know the regulations can vary super drastically so what are some of those challenges of scaling or moving from one state to another state in not only a super fragmented market but kind of ever evolving that are that are a little bit you know more than just even having to kind of switch up the license types and start touching the plant. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it, it does just start with the regulations, but the regulations also um, feed back into what you have to build from a software perspective. Um, so in order to do delivery compliantly, you have to conform to, as you said, it can be down to the city, um, the city's regulations. So um, in California, to use an example, in, in the city of San Jose, they have more restrictive uh, regulations and basically anywhere else in the state. Um, and so we have to have, uh, you know, additional layers of security like uh, cameras in each car. Uh, and so you really have to kind of conform to the strictest regulations in any given market. Um, and so when we were going into Michigan, for example, we also um, do delivery in Detroit. Um, they required turn by turn directions. Um, they required specific manifesting things. So we had to build software to be able to comply because that was a higher threshold than even than was even required in California. Um, we have looked at markets like Massachusetts, uh, where uh, they do technically allow delivery, although it's all through social equity um, at the moment. Um, but even uh, in Massachusetts, um, one of the reasons why uh, the social equity uh, community has struggled to actually get delivery off the ground there is that the delivery rules are so restrictive. You have to have mm -hmm. two drivers in a car. Um, you have to have body cameras that it makes it almost impossible for them to to launch even remotely profitably. First of all, delivery is really, really hard to make profitable overall. But if you add the complexity of you have to have now two drivers in the car, um, it, it basically makes it so there's no chance you could ever be profitable. Um, and so each state has taken uh, different rules. Um, and, and rather than just kind of copying and pasting from markets that work, um, they do put their own restrictions. Um, so we really look at markets and say, okay, how much does uh, the regulations map to California? Because we know we can make the business work in Cal like we did in California. Michigan was very much the same. Um, Colorado is similar. Um, they don't have those, those really high level restrictions, but it is once again through um, a social equity partner 
Uh, we're lucky in that because we started back in 2014 and, and developed software for five years where we were actually providing it to a third party partner, we don't have any, we're, we're very well suited to say, hey, we, we can definitely partner with uh, a social equity partner. Um, we actually funded a, a number through our momentum uh, program, uh, which is um, our, our kind of business accelerator for the social equity community, where we give $50,000 grants to, to, 10, um, uh, to 10 companies throughout the US uh, each year. Um, so we, we're like definitely huge advocates of partnering with, with um, social equity, with the social equity community in these new markets. Um, but it still means that it might take off slower. So in Denver, you've seen um, that it really hasn't started um, delivery because it's been difficult to get permits. Um, it's diff been difficult for social equity partners to get uh, the requisite license. Um, and so although there are some small municipalities like Aurora, uh, where, where we have done a little bit of delivery, um, it's still very, very early and very, very nascent. And it's still really challenging to get off the ground because there aren't other compliant software you can just pick off the shelf and start running with day one um, and so it takes a lot of time to prepare and make sure that you know hey with all these rules are we actually following all the rules um, are we are we making sure our partners are following the rules um, because ultimately as the license holder you know it's it's kind of our neck on the line um, and so yeah it just makes it even more difficult um, especially because oftentimes retailers in the market view it as if you're going to somehow take their customers although from our experience in California, the delivery customer is quite a bit different than the retail customer. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we feel like it's just additive of giving customers uh, and patients better access, um, which is kind of core to our mission. Absolutely. That's what you look at, at delivery is super impactful for, you know, right now you got a lot of people working at home, you got kids at home. It's a little bit more difficult to pull up to the dispensary with with kids in the back, uh, you know, leaving them out there. No shame to them because I know people already do that regularly at other businesses. But Absolutely. for some reason, you know, there's a weird stigma around weed shops for the general public when that happens. But yeah, yeah, there's a lot of things and, and that are fragmented in this space. And I didn't even think of that from like a software perspective of like what's the dominant POS system, what's the traceability system. Do those already interact and engage with your guys's platform? Yeah, and even it even gets more complicated than that. Sometimes, like you set up metric in California, but the way that metric works in Michigan isn't the same, mm -hmm. um, and so you have to rewrite software just to to make it work in the new state. So not all these systems, you know, they're a little archaic, and so they don't work quite as well as you would kind of hope, um, as if they were developed, you know, in 2022. Um, so yeah, it, it's um, it's complicated just to just to follow the rules and regulations, especially once you get beyond the uh, you know, you're doing five or 10 deliveries a day. Um, you know, we're, in California, we're doing more than 3000 deliveries every day. Mm. Um, and you know, that gets, you know, complicated. It's a lot of employees. It's a lot of, uh, employee regulations too. We have to make sure, you know, all we're OSHA compliant. We have to make sure that we're complying with all wage and hour laws, right? These are, these are our employees that so they're not, um, because of cannabis regulations, it's not like a gig economy job. It's not 1099. Um, and so we have to make sure that, our employees are properly taking breaks and, you know, following all of the, the local rules as well. So um, that's something that's uh, also makes it even more complicated to, to move into new markets. And not, not to stay on the theme of complications, but, you know, 3000 deliveries a day and the sheer geographic and population size of California, you know, it, it is a challenge. I'm assuming it's a challenge to have uh, accurate, accurate, like stock of products and choose the right vendors being that, 
most people are, you know, unable to produce at a scale, right? There's very few brands that can produce at a scale that can service the entire state of California, right? I live in the state of Washington. So many of the average, and it's a smaller state, some the regulations I know leave for smaller canopy space, but this average size of your grow, you know, can only feed X amount of retail outlets right and so and i know california there's a lot there's bigger companies and bigger facilities but i'm kind of curious if you can speak on kind of the buying and the brand partnerships and what you guys look for there with being able to have something that you can stock and offer to a wide variety of customers on a consistent basis yeah you're, you're definitely right it, it definitely means that we have to typically work with kind of the larger end of the scale um for most of our brands we are the number one customer for them um Certainly not all of them, but um, for most of them, we are. Um, and yeah, we have a huge geographic spread, right? Like Northern California and Southern California are, you know, 100, 300 miles apart, um, which is, you know, bigger than most states. And you'd cover three or four <laughs> states if you're if you're on the East Coast. Um, so the California supply chain has developed a little bit differently. We do. I, I know you guys had uh, Mike on from Herbal um, not too long ago. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have that kind of um, middle tier of, of distributors. Um, and most of the brands either self-distribute or uh, work with a distributor that helps move product um, between uh, all of our locations. We are actually um, uh, moving to a more centralized distribution um, uh, model ourselves. Historically, uh, we have 14 uh, locations throughout the state of California. Uh, historically, we've had product delivered to all 14 locations um, in order to actually work with some smaller brands who, you know, we so we can do our own allocation. Uh, amongst the 14 locations, we are moving to a place where we will buy basically once a month all to our central location and then handle the um, handle the distribution out to our locations, which makes it easier at the retail level um, because there's also, you know, in California um, and any other markets, there's stickering requirements where you have to literally, you know, sticker every single product, which is a very manual uh, process. Um, and it would, it's better done by a single centralized team rather than um, doing it in 14 different locations. Um, so it's definitely, um, once again, complicated, um, but we try and pick uh, definitely a few brand partners and brand houses um, that we can work with and try and leverage them because it's just creates that more consistent supply. Um, over the last two years, one of our big initiatives has been to increase the overall size of our menu. Um, in theory, e-commerce, the, the benefit of e-commerce is like Amazon. You can have the endless aisle. You can have you know, thousands of products. Uh, we've kind of found our sweet spot around 750 SKUs. Um, and so that's kind of the target that we try and hit at every single one of our locations. Um, because of the way cannabis licensing works, we do oftentimes have kind of smaller footprint warehouses. Um, in California, there is a concept of a non-storefront license. Um, and so of our 14 locations, 12 are delivery only kind of warehouses. Um, but those warehouses range in square footage from a thousand square feet to like 4,000 on the high end. Uh, when you're in a thousand square foot footprint, um, you are really, really space constrained. Um, mm -hmm. And so you have to sometimes lower the number of SKUs you carry and only carry the, you know, 500. Um, and of those, those are, you know, really focused on our top categories, which are uh, naturally flower. Um, we sell a lot of bulk flour. Um, we were definitely early in seeing the transition to, you know, quarters and halves and full ounces. Um, so we sell a lot of bulk flour. Um, we over-index on edibles um, and vapes. Um, and we actually don't sell a lot of concentrates. Um, I think that's one of the product sets that um, 
people do like to go in and, and look and, and smell and um, see uh, live in a dispensary. So we, we definitely skew a bit more to convenience products uh, than, than your typical uh, dispensary. So, you know, we have to curate our menu a little bit differently, but we do because our nature as a tech company, we have a ton of data. Uh, we're able to look, you know, at daily reports on what's selling um, and really get a good sense of how to curate the menu uh, by region as well, because products that sell in Northern California are different than what's selling in Southern California. Uh, and even amongst those regions, LA is different than San Diego, right. uh, which is different than Orange County. Right. You look at, yeah, the, the you know, the, the economic differences from area to area, the cultural differences, the occupational differences, right, which will definitely skew what type of products people move towards or consumption habits. And so I was curious about that as the trend that you see. So it's it's nice. I mean, I'm a big flower guy, so it's nice to know that flower reigns supreme no matter how we're getting it. It makes sense that maybe you'd order in bulk if you're ordering delivery. And so another thing I was I was going to ask about trend wise was um, are you guys seeing right like in cannabis, there's like these two things right that, that we notice from at least myself from being a long time you know connoisseur or whatever smoker is that you kind of have your staples that you always want to go to but there's always this forever ending or never ending search for like the new new what is something new what's the new flavors who's doing a different take on on a strain i like do you guys notice through delivery trends like does it seem to be a lot of reorders of kind of the same brands and the same products or are customers kind of venturing out and trying more when they when they interact with e-commerce versus going into a dispensary? Um, I think that that answer varies by category. So I think you I think the most not surprising, the most CPG like loyal loyalty is found in things like edibles. Mm -hmm. um, so I think you see a lot more um, trial and flower. I think vapes. Um, people generally tend to the same, towards the same brands. Maybe they try different flavor profiles, but um, typically it's, you know, more of a price driven uh, mechanic on, on vapes or, you know, we um, also sell a lot of like Stizzy and, and have a lot of the proprietary platforms that, that do really well. Um, but in flour, yeah, it's, it's a lot of trial. Um, so you definitely have to keep your flour menu fresh um, because people, you know, I, I still think the the connoisseur will still go into a dispensary. Um, so there might be a tinge more brand loyalty um, on an e-commerce menu because you can't actually look and see and mm -hmm. smell. Um, but um, overall, I would say that in the flower category, people still like to try and dabble and you see, you know, you see brands that are the hype brands and then they kind of fade away. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, even brands you think have massive staying power, um have you know don't necessarily sell as well as we would have thought on our platform so a lot mm -hmm. of times we're, we are trying it um and then we just watch the numbers and see if it moves through and some of the the brands you you know you would you would think would sell like hotcakes no matter where they are um because they do have a, a really loyal following don't always sell when you're selling maybe quite as massive a product um, mm -hmm. i think you know i think ease in california at least is definitely um you know probably uh, doesn't necessarily just feed the 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 you know connoisseurs. Uh, we have a lot of very 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 loyal customers who buy very frequently, um, but we also have a lot of people who are just kind of in and out of cannabis um, who maybe buy every three four five six months, um, and those people um, you know probably tend a little bit more to convenience products and um, you know are a little bit less um, you know definitely don't don't buy as much to to, mm -hmm. to dabble as much in the in the flower uh, game. Mm -hmm. 
And then I'm also curious, you know, from your, your previous position, you know, to be able to speak on like the customer acquisition, right? Like it's no secret, anyone in cannabis, like the challenges of marketing, you know, are, are clearly there. There's a lot of people complaining, um, you know, whether it's regulation or just kind of platform terms of service. I personally kind of relish in the fact that like a lot of those tools kits that are available in other industries aren't available here. It like forces you to be creative. And so like, I'm just the type of guy I like that anyways. I like to kind of think out of the box, but I know a lot of people, it's a big challenge. And we look at a company as big as these, like a lot of the advertising and market marketing opportunities out there are kind of that top funnel brand awareness, which are a big upfront cost with like a, you know, a hard to gauge ROI and a longer tail to get to the ROI. Um, so I'm just kind of curious your your perspective of coming from more like traditional internet marketing e-com and then the challenges in the space. Yeah, I'm, I'm nodding my head emphatically because, um, you know, we've done almost 9 million deliveries. We have over 2 million account signups. We have like 1.1 million, you know, registered users who have, who have actually ordered product, right? So we have a huge user base. Um, and we got a lot of that user base because of top of the funnel brand marketing, right? Uh, Ease was very early in at a home advertising. Um, that's one of the reasons why the brand is, you know, well known outside of just California is because we plastered billboards everywhere throughout California. And obviously a lot of people come here for, for travel and for recreation. Um, you could see them all throughout, um, the country, um, or all throughout the state. Um, and yeah, that was great for top of funnel. It's great for awareness. Um, but you know, as a very, um, you know, as a product that, that can definitely find an audience. Um, yeah, we would love to be able to advertise on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter, um, and YouTube, right? Like direct, more direct response advertising would be one is one of the reasons why I'm long-term bullish on the opportunity, but coupled with all the other complexities of cannabis, the fact that we can't even advertise and we can't use the fact that we have all these registered users and, and it's a unique product and that people are also uploading an ID with you know with their purchase so you have even more information we have their email phone number id you know home address you know we know their age we, we know everything about them um that that is on an id and yet we can't really target we can't really um advertise directly um you know to those customers via social channels uh and so we can do some affiliate marketing we can definitely do we lean really heavily on seo and there's ways to you know to do adwords but all that's you know even more complicated uh than just you know, going on and, and buying like you normally would. Um, so, you know, we are, we are lucky in that we started back in 2014. And so we've got, you know, many, many years of history. Um, but we also were able to spend those dollars when the cannabis market maybe had a little bit more hype and there was a little bit more funding coming into the space. Um, and now we've kind of pulled back dramatically. Um, we are not currently running out of home in California um, as we're launching new markets in you know, Florida. We're, we're, we're we have a very big push under the Green Dragon brand in Florida. We're going to open, you know, more than 25 um, stores there this year. Um, you know, you have to adapt your strategy. Um, and we are, you know, we have digital ad vendors. We have, you know, a lot of the pipes in place, um, but we don't have nearly as many options. And we can't, you know, chase where are we actually seeing the best ROI? Where are we actually measuring? A lot of it is, you know, more, uh, you know, kind of finger in the air. Uh, attribution surveys and things like that that are um, you know give us a decent glimpse of, of where we're getting our customers and where we're getting awareness from uh, but certainly are not nearly as targeted and so when I look at yeah the five-year timeline you know in a post legalization world you know if if and when New York and New Jersey which you know both allow 
delivery and, and pretty good frameworks. If we could actually use all the stuff we learned in California and apply it um, to those markets to reach new customers, that would be wonderful. Um, but if not, yeah, it's kind of a, a knife fight using you know a lot of uh, more old school techniques, everything from you know, brand ambassadors and feet on the street to uh, at home. Um, and then just trying to leverage, you know, referral programs. That's, that's definitely what helped us scale in Michigan is just friends telling friends. It's still the preferred way to get cannabis. It's always sure. been the way, uh, to get cannabis is, you know, somebody delivering it to you, whether that was, you know, in a backpack or, uh, you know, in a, in a licensed, uh, fully licensed manner. Yeah, I mean that, that's how I, that's how I cut a lot of my teeth, man, through uh, you know some word of mouth marketing back in the day. Uh, that's that's interesting though that you guys have a, a database of like two million customers. So like the, the type of lookalike audiences you could build with that, the type of personas that you already have, but you you're completely unable to. Yeah, I wish <laughs> it's it is like market. It is marketing gold. It really is right. marketing gold, and we can't use it yet. So it's that's part of the really frustrating thing is um, it you know. It does force you to be really creative. Um, I mean, we have a massive email channel. We have a massive, massive SMS channel um, because of because of the delivery, um, because of the fact that our employees are our employees. Um, we do crazy things like we measure, you know, our intraday demand because when you schedule somebody for an eight-hour shift and you're expecting a certain level of demand, if you're not there, then you're basically just paying for you know mm -hmm. customer or you're paying for your employees to just kind of sit around and and not be as utilized as you want them to be. Um, and so we have, you know, automatic SMS programs that run and drop credits in people's accounts to make sure that we're, you know, getting buying throughout the day to make sure that, you know, our supply and demand are matched. So we, we have to do relatively sophisticated things um, uh, in part, just flipping all the way back to like, you know, because we can't, you know, we can't just freely advertise, you know, we yeah. have to really nurture our customer base in a, in a super strong way. Um, but, like I said, in the longer term, that's what makes me really, really bullish um, and about the, the e-commerce opportunity in this category. Um, and also, you know, I think people getting back to the DoorDash example, um, you know, one of the first things people ask is, can you actually do delivery profitable in basically any industry? Um, and I always like to kind of point towards Domino's Pizza um, because that's really where I think we are. Um, I think we're going much more to a Domino's Pizza where we own a lot of the supply chain um, in Colorado because we're vertical. Right, we're we're basically making our our dough and our marinara, mm -hmm. um, and same thing in Florida. Um, Florida does have delivery rules. Florida is even more extreme on you know you can only sell what you produce, um, and you know I think that we're currently setting up our retail network first, and then we will lean very heavily into delivery once that retail net network is up and running, and once our supply catches up with um, you know the demand that we expect out of those um, stores. But yeah, it's it's a very um, delicate balance in every market of, you know, matching the, the actual supply of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. I'm modeling more off of Domino's than, uh, than DoorDash. I, I also, you know, aside from cannabis, I worked at Pizza Hut delivery back in the day, which also coincided as a great occupation to do while selling cannabis as well. Very, um, you know, you're, <laughs> Very true. You're able to get paid, have a, you know, have some stuff to file with the government and make plenty of extra cash on the side, <laughs> man. It was, uh, they worked really well there together. Um, where, where do you see the, the future of cannabis delivery, um, over these next, I know you said you're really bullish on the next five years looking at, you know, potential federal legalization tipping and, and some regulatory changes, but where do you view kind of the, the future of, of cannabis delivery and where it fits into the market? Yeah. I mean, 
ultimately, like, I, I don't ever think cannabis delivery is going to be as big as retail. Retail will always be bigger. I think um, cannabis delivery, like delivery and food and everything else, will probably be 15 to 25% of every market. Um, but I also don't think that because of the way cannabis regulations stack up, um, you know, there are cities and municipalities that just straight up ban brick and mortar retail. Um, so it is a must have for patients and consumers who want access. Um, and so I always think that they will actually be rather complementary to each other. Um, you know, that's just the way that because this is being done on such a local level, um, that's just the way that this is likely to play out. Um, and so I think the one thing that we were really hopeful is that, um, especially as as regulators are, are writing regulations, that they realize that, you know, this is you know a really safe way to, to get products um, and, and give access to consumers. Um, and it's obviously, you know, something that consumers want, um, you know, they've, it just like food delivery, it's, it's just easier. Um, you know, it's, it's easy, it's safe. You have a big selection. There will always, like I said, there will always be reason to go into dispensary. You know, the drawback of delivery is you can't look and smell and, and, um, you know, really see, get eyes on the product before you buy it. Um, but I think that, you know, over time delivery will, will continue to be 20 to 25%. Um, because of how expensive delivery is, I, I really, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I think that there's going to be a few winners in delivery just because it's so uh, technically complex. Uh, you know, retail is hard. It's retail plus a last mile logistics business, which is even harder. Um, and so I think that, you know, ultimately, as you know, these markets open up, there will probably be one big winner per state and there will probably be a, a big winner nationally. Um, just because of the the cost it takes to to stand up, um, it's very easy to get started, but it's very expensive to scale, um, and so that's why there's you know the weird um, kind of in between of like it sounds like it's really easy to start, and it is. It's just really really expensive to get to any degree of scale profitably uh, because of all the regulations. So uh, super bullish on it. Um, definitely know that consumers want it. Uh, they want it as part of their shopping mix, but it's not going to be the only thing. It, it's just going to be uh, you know probably twenty to twenty five percent of um, overall sales. I love that, man. There's a lot of people in this industry that are, are overly bullish on whatever position they're at. And I like that where you're like correlating this to other industries and, and kind of like, this is the lane that I think we're holding. So I think, I think that's a great perspective. And Corey, I really appreciate you hopping on here, uh, on the early morning on a Friday and, uh, and bringing this chat. Is there anything else you, you, you'd like to, you know, promote, promote or push out there pertaining to ease? Um, no, I would just say, yeah, Green Dragon, we've got 16 stores all throughout Colorado. We've got 30 plus coming in uh, in Florida. Um, and I think we're you know known for and we'll continue to be known for you know high quality weed at, at a good price. You know, we're, we're definitely very cost focused. Um, but also as we bring the delivery brand, Ease will maintain the, the delivery brand and really be um, what that's synonymous with. You know, we'll, we'll definitely be looking to bring kind of best in class selection, uh, like I said, typically 750 plus products and you know, delivered to your door. So um, that's what Ease is all about. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time for people out there that want to get some more information. Ease.com is the website, uh, place of order. I know we already have some comments from people on here that are look, seem to be uh, regular customers. Um, so again, man, I really, really appreciate your time sharing the insight. You know, I know I, I learned a lot and I always appreciate these conversations with people that, that know their shit. So uh, thank you very much, man. Thanks, bitch. I appreciate it. All right. This is the RMR podcast. We're going to be back today. I got three episodes in a single day. So we got more content coming today. We are on the North American Weed Tour and we will be talking to cannabis operators, executives, movers and shakers in the industry all across the country over the next couple months. So stay tuned.